0: Retrieving the tithe is an attempt to regain the elementary principles of the world, I think. Because we can say here, you know, you're doing it here and you're not doing it here. Rather than leaving it to faith, but what does Paul say when he's raising funds? He's saying, let everyone give as he's determined in his own heart. He left that center of control within each person. If he were to say 10%, now he's set a standard that everybody has to conform to and they're going to either
1: feel less than or more than. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast, where three failed pastors, Me. Alex, Kent, and Nathan, are seeking to recover from bad ideas about the gospel and recover the true gospel. And we're in a series, Recovering Faith. This is episode six. We're continuing to talk about how we need to be saved from corrupt society. Yes. And point number one today, we're diving right in. Mm. The notion... That we need to be saved from our corrupt society, which manifests perhaps most malevolently through our religious systems, has urgent implications for the church. That's a long one. Wow. Yeah. Most malevolently, I can't uh, even say that word. Through malevolently. Our religious systems. Yeah. Yes. Now, why and how does it manifest most, perhaps most malevolently, through our religious systems? <laughs> that seems to be a strong claim. It is,
0: yeah, um well, and we talked last time, and we quoted good old hitch Christopher Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens, yeah. yeah, and you know he he's just saying that religion tends to ally itself with these these kind of negative phenomena uh, in human existence, so tribalism, patriarchy, these kinds of um, ways that it it seems to intensify. The, the power of the powerful and so even in Christianity that people would critique and say well you know the Paul and his letters he's telling the slaves to be good slaves you know he's not telling the masters turn your slaves loose he's telling the slaves to just be better at being slaves um, and so not only do we get this human authority that that's kind of it's, it's coming down from above us, and, and it's really supplanting human morality, as uh, Milgram noted, that we, we go through this shift in our thinking. We go from making decisions based on our conscience and our sense of right and wrong to making decisions based on how to better serve the authority above us. Uh, and, and so let's say you're in a human system where the government is wicked and it's commanding its citizens to do things that are just classically wrong. Um, and then they, that, that government then begins to say, well, we are divinely appointed to do this. So not only do you need to do what we say uh, when we're present, but you need to think what we think. And you need to do what we say when we're absent, that this the God um, element can intensify this controlling nature of authority into your private life and your private thoughts. Um, It can chase you beyond the grave so not only are you going to be executed by the authority but then tortured after death. Uh, So there's an intensification in religious systems and especially theocracies. Um, There's an Uh, I think, a narrowing of conformity that religions can say, well, here's how you should talk, here's how you should dress, here's what you should eat and drink. And so not only are we conforming to perhaps fashion trends or, you know, etiquette, but now we're conforming for centuries in how how we dress. I mean, yeah. Let's take, for instance, if, uh, let me ask you guys a question. Uh, let's say you went to the to the state fair, okay, and you were walking around. Do you think you could pick out the Pentecostal women? Easily. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I might confuse them with the Mennonites. Right,
0: yeah, well, but, but they didn't, that little bonnet thing on their head, right? So you could find the Mennonite okay. women, you could find the Pentecostal women. Could you find the uh, really observant Muslim women? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and now, could you tell the, the Muslim Pentecostal or, or Mennonite men? Remember, you're at a state fair. There's a lot of people dressed agriculturally. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so there, there's this kind of conforming pressure. It's selective. And this is in a society that is secular, that is um, liberal. And yet religion seems to have this regressive effect, even in societies
1: where the norms are much more relaxed. Mm. So you're illustrating your point that we need to be saved from our corrupt society, which manifests itself perhaps most malevolently through our religious systems.
0: Right. So if we are in the church, we could create those systems that we have at our disposal. Let's, Let's see, if you're in a church, you are in a community that's predicated on religious faith. So uh, church leaders then could potentially leverage that community for their own agenda. But even if they um, mean well, I believe that there's an inherent danger in applying the elementary principles of the world to religious faith. That those two are supposed to be distinct that one uh, replaces the other. The attempt to put some sort of a religious spin on the elementary principles of the world, uh, I would contend, is the essence of Antichrist. That Christ, um, and we'll talk about this later in this episode of the podcast, uh, Christ left this planet for good reason. For our sake. And and we'll talk about why. So when we try to wield uh, the legitimate authority that belongs to Christ, when the church tries to wield that on his behalf, you get things like the Inquisition, the um, Crusades. Um, you get things like very controlling cults um, where, you know, people are... Moving out to compounds and listening to one guy and 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 all of this messed up stuff. And perhaps
1: less extreme examples like what we're seeing in the news, where you have like mega churches with toxic leadership cultures, right. where there's various forms of abuse, maybe not on the level of the, the the cult leaders that burn the place down, but we're seeing a lot of that. In right? The news. Yeah, I didn't listen to
0: the, all of that. This the whole uh, Mars Hill podcast that would. Um, what Christianity today Mm -hmm. did. Uh, But I do remember very specifically where one lady was um, basically called in and facing a charge of heresy (laughs) because she just wasn't overly supportive of Driscoll's opinions, like just his choices leadership-wise. That was considered heresy. (laughs) So you can kind of see where things are becoming mingled there so heresy is usually reserved for somebody who's departed from the sincere faith not just somebody who dissents with what a human leader's opinion is about whether we should build a new wing onto this or whether we should start a new site in our multi-site ministry someone who says well I that doesn't seem like a good thing or I don't you know I don't like this approach that he's taking that's that doesn't rise to the level of heresy in anybody's definition unless you're in a self-referential group
1: where what the lead pastor says is the voice of God,
0: and now you're obviously committing heresy.
1: So the use of the elementary principles of the world in that case and other cases like it is like applying this social pressure, the threat of ostracism, of um, slandering you know a person's reputation in, in order to keep them in line or get them back in line.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and or saying, God has endorsed my authority— so I have authority here because of divine right to rule. I'm I'm the elder here. I'm the pastor here, and I am because I am that God has endorsed my leadership. So disobeying me is to disobey God.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow! And, that, and that's that's usurping the authority that's reserved for Christ alone.
0: To, to right your point. Right, and so. I would say, um, you know what. If you're astute, biblically uh, astute, then you know that Christ means anointed one. Um, Actually, the word Christ refers to someone who has salve or ointment on them, Um, but it it is the Greek translation, the way they decided to translate uh, the Hebrew Messiah, which means the anointed one. Now, uh, what we often will say, and I'm just now saying, as you hear me say anointed one. Where's the accent? Where's the emphasis in those two words? Anointed one. Anointed. Right. I think what separates Jesus from the previous anointed ones, so King David, his whole line, all the kings of the northern kingdom, all of the priests um, that were in the Levitical line, what separates him from the previous anointed ones is that he bears both anointings, or perhaps all three, he is prophet, priest, and king. Um, and in God's genius, he, he kept those separate. You know, if you're from the Levit- Levitical tribe, you qualify to serve as priest. If you're from the tribe of Judah, you, you qualify to serve as king. Um, and then, and, and so that keeps those offices separate, that the uh, secular, political, military sphere is over here, even in this theocracy uh, of Israel. And then there's the um, religious devotional sphere over here so you have the you have the palace and you have the temple and they're not one place um you know there's no god king in israel until jesus comes and now he is the anointed one he is the priest and the king he Executes God's will in a secular in his kingdom in our interpersonal interactions when we get up when we go to bed when we eat when we sleep Um, How we worship our devotion to God Jesus is the mediator and the executor of all of that But he is also the military head in that and the political head in that someday Everyone will face him in judgment that there will that there will be an accounting for What's been done? that the nations and their history is all in his hand. But if he were here in this place, what would descend would be this military regime that would inform a thought police regime. (laughs) And that is something God's never done, will never do. The reason that we have these phases of existence, in my understanding, is we are called to the obedience of faith. And that means that we have to be given latitude to disbelieve
1: and to dissent. Do you mean uh, we're called to the obedience that is faith? Yes. Like the, or from faith, faith. is obedience.
0: Faith is obedience, but also obedience must—the behaviors that we engage in uh, for his sake, in obedience to him, must be motivated by faith mm-hmm. and not coercion, mm-hmm. fear. Those kinds of other things.
1: So the when Paul that comes says, "comes from faith,"
0: right? The gospel. He says, "I preach. The, you know, I'm out here preaching the gospel of God about His Son, so that I might lead the nations to the obedience that comes from faith, the obedience of faith. Um, that's how the kingdom of God works. Mm-hmm. So if Jesus is here and He's sitting on a throne in Jerusalem and there are hordes of armies around Him, and if we decide, well, I just don't want to be a Christian, you know, the U.S. decides we're going to be secular, you know, that you're you're really thumbing your nose at at right there in his face and you know that, that this in-person um, regime is something that requires immediate enforcement and now people don't have the opportunity to obey from faith they are coerced and um, I don't think the kingdom of God is ever going to happen that way. way and that's why we're being invited to obey through faith and then those who have obeyed through faith are invited to be in the in-person kingdom so that there's never this coercion. What happens when somebody begins to say, well, Jesus has extended his authority through me, and now I uh, I possess his authority, I wield it. He means for me to be the in-person authority over you. Man, that becomes poison. That's, that's just diseased and sick, and I think that the Bible even precludes it. If you read the book of James, what you see is, is that James is dealing with, I, I think the primary thing that James is dealing with is, is abuses in a church setting. You know, he, He's saying, hey, I'm writing to you who are redeemed, you, you out there in the church. And, and then you know, he says stuff like in James 1.20, and it's really important, where he says um, the, the wrath of humans does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Why does he say that? Is it because some of those people had become indignant about what was going on around them? You know, they had this revolutionary mindset that how how can we tolerate all of the injustices around us and and what we see the Romans doing, you know. So people are wanting the righteousness of God. They're wanting the righteousness of God, but they're trying to accomplish it through the wrath of humankind. They want they mm-hmm. believe that if they can get organized If they can, you know, rally the troops and proclaim the idea of justice and we get enough people behind this, we can overthrow the oppressive and unjust regime.
1: Um, And that's messed up. That's relying upon the elementary principles of the world. Right. Uh, The wrath of humans is is, 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 is is a manifestation of the elementary principles. Right. And so...
0: If the beginning of James 3, James says, you know, let not many of you be teachers. Someone can control their tongue. You know, their, uh, the tongue can't really be controlled, he says. Um, so here are people who, they see themselves as um, the mouthpiece for righteousness, for good. And they want to be heard, right? Um, but unfortunately, that drive to change the circumstances around us to kind of terraform society around what we believe to be the will of God becomes very dangerous. Nobody, It's like the ring of power in the Lord of the Rings, right? If we just had it, we could do good with it. And, and what, what James would have us know is, is that there's only one Lord of the Rings. And, you know, um, mm-hmm. that Satan—this is Satan's protocol, his enterprise— um, to do
1: that, so in James three, uh, Kent, you want to? Mm. Who is wise and understanding among you? James says, "Let him show it. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that come from <clears throat> wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic." Ouch. Yeah.
2: Demonic.
0: <laughs> it, but it is. That's and, you know, that's, that's what's crazy about it. And we've talked before about this. Um, but the, if the elementary principles of the world are a thing and that it's possible to harness those to start a religious movement and then use them within that religious movement to oppress people and remove their freedom
1: we'd better just leave it on the shelf um because it's essential that people be free in order to become truly good truly moral truly loving right they can't be coerced into it they can't be manipulated into it uh or else it's not authentic right and no one no one is wise
0: enough kind enough generous enough to take hold of that kind of power and not be corrupted that's why i say it's like the, it's like the one ring once we take hold of, of the power to tell people what to do, and they do it because they think that's a voice of God, nobody can be trusted with that, you know. I mean, there's some reason that someone like Joseph Smith, and I don't think he started out as a bad guy. He probably wasn't an honest guy, but I think he told himself he was doing good things. Or, or even Mohammed, you know, I, I don't think he was a bad guy. I, I think he told himself he was doing good things. Um, but the longer those guys went on, You know, they both start out as loving, faithful husbands. But by the end of it, all the women in the movement belong to them. You know, that, hey, I just heard from God. He told me I'm supposed to marry your wife and you're supposed to go off and die. You know, it's like, what? (laughs) You know, know? Uh, but that kind of power, just nobody can be trusted with it. They always become corrupted by it. You know, we, we could think. Well, James is calling out somebody that's obviously bad. He's obviously a bad guy. Um, and he's trying to help us see that, no, I'm, I'm calling out people with good intentions. And I'm trying to help them understand you cannot go about it this way. You know? And so...
1: Um, and church is a place where we have good intentions. We're trying to get people to live right mm-hmm. to, and to do good. right. And the temptation is to use worldly means to get people to live right and do good,
0: right. And so we see what they were,
1: um, what these
0: worldly wise people were aiming at, uh, in the rest of
1: that passage in James and three sixteen through eighteen. Uh, want to For get where you ahead? have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Yeah,
0: and the word for righteousness in the Greek is also means justice,
1: right? He had previously said that the wrath of God does not produce the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And here he's saying right. it's peacemakers who sow in peace. Exactly. And he's, and he's filling that in with like submissive, full of mercy, mm-hmm. uh, considerate, which is a very kind of hands-off, non-controlling, non-manipulative approach to people. Right. I think that's your point. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, Jesus says that, Hey, if somebody wants to be the leader, let him be the servant. Um. You know, that, that there is this total shift in the kingdom of God. And yet, we've really imbibed in today's church and mega church especially we've kind of imbibed the the spirit of the age in that churches are more like institutions with a board of directors and a ceo and so there's authority to be had and the one at the top has most of it you know um, and all of it is contingent on the, those duly authorized officials and stuff like that but this um, this idea that you know th- these people were just wanting things to be fair, and isn't that what we want? Mm-hmm. And yet, if they if they go about it in a worldly way, that that James says that's demonic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it's not some sort of benign thing. Like, well, you know, the ends justify the means. They don't. <laughs> They never will. I mean, it's like, look at this big church and all the things that we're doing and everything. And it's just like, man, I don't, I just don't think it's worth it at the end of the day that there's, there's just too much um, getting our hands dirty in, mm-hmm. in just the day to day. I mean, even small things like just keeping somebody in the dark, just controlling the flow of information, just nuancing somebody, um, using your, particular charisma or whatever on them, all of those are those are violations of the gospel standard. Those aren't just benign, neutral tools. Those are ways that we are violating the very essence of the gospel.
1: Charisma is something I think we're particularly susceptible to. I mean, we yeah. might, as evangelical Christians in America, we might— um, point out uh deception deceptive practices and we might say that's 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 over the that's crossing the line but we wouldn't say that charisma or that relying upon we wouldn't notice that we rely upon charisma <laughs> in our churches we wouldn't even notice that right um that it's it's expected and assumed that the leaders are, are are the people with charisma yeah and that they're using that charisma to gain a
2: following and to lead people yeah that's interesting i read a study, it was actually a secular study, talking about um, h- how do companies tend to elevate uh, what we call these days toxic leadership, these yeah. people that, um, they seem to be re- really great leaders, but when it comes down to it, they're ter- terrible people, and yeah. therefore they're terrible leaders, right? And so, um, it was, really, the, the study's results was that... Um, humans are really bad at differentiating between charisma and uh, good leadership. Mm -hmm. It's like we equate the two together. We see somebody that's very charismatic and we immediately assume that they have uh, what it takes to be a good leader when in fact it could be completely toxic. Yeah. We do the same thing in other areas.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: so uh, we've talked
0: last or in previous episodes about this idea that um, Peter saw Jesus as a justice warrior, and so when Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer many things, and I'm going to be crucified, Peter's like, no, that'll never happen. And, and I, I think most of us are sympathetic with Peter, and we say, man, <laughs> you wouldn't want your friend to say that. You, you certainly wouldn't want that to happen to your friend. Um, but it was more than that for Peter. He was just like, I mean, this had happened to a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of would-be messiahs had already been crucified. You know, Jesus was in some special case. But Peter's like, that can never happen to you. <laughs> you know, you're you're the one. You're finally here. You're here to make things right. How could it possibly happen to you? And so Jesus' response to Peter is in no way hyperbole. He says, get behind me, Satan. That That is a demonic voice that says, you have a lot of potential. You um are somebody that we can get behind, and um, you're going to make things different here. All of that is the hiss of the ancient serpent, and we need to run. We need to be terrified when that voice rings in our ears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, uh, being the wise and uh, finally and only righteous person you know, recognizes that that sound so
1: so 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 the temptation was to rely upon his human intelligence his his abilities even his divine abilities mm-hmm. uh, to make things happen in this world to get things done uh, to use um, to, and to to coerce people yes uh, uh, and to get good things done and so in that way it was satanic and it was relying upon the elementary principles of the world
0: Right it it really is the the demonic voice says um, accomplish, accomplish good through the exercise of power. And the uh, the voice of Christ, the real righteousness is accomplish God's will through submission to weakness. And what most people don't really grasp is that, The experience of dying is uh, the pouring out of strength you know we say you become quite ill and and you are weak you feel weak you're maybe you're bed bound or whatever you're becoming weaker but you still have some faculties you still have a little bit of something but as you move if you've uh, been unfortunate enough to be around somebody who's terminally ill what you watch is a progressive loss of strength until there's no longer strength to live, to breathe, or for the heart to beat, or or whatever. And so when Jesus says I'm gonna go there and die, he's saying, I'm I'm relinquishing my power on the will of God. And that's the that's the Christ-like faith. That's the essence of the gospel call. It's not to believe in things you can't prove, it is to relinquish your power. On the will of God. And so if we do something in church that's not predicated on that, that that requires my power. See, the reason uh that Peter didn't want Jesus to die was because if you die, you have absolutely no power. Right? Jesus had a ton of power and influence and all this, and Peter sees this as accomplishing God's purposes, is bringing righteousness to the world. And Jesus is just like, no, the only thing that's going to bring righteousness to the world is an utter surrender to the will of God, um, up to and including dying. And so we, are, we approximate that when he calls us into obedience. Um, and so we have these intersections where we can exert power or where we can submit and surrender in faith, and it's those intersections are our cross. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the the problem with the exercise of, of power, one of the problems is is that we will encounter situations where our power is not enough. And so, how do we bridge the gap? We lie. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you, you have to, if your power can't reach the circumstance, you must reframe the circumstance. Um, and, and so I, that's why Satan is the father of lies, because he is the champion of this righteousness through power mentality. I mean, it's what he offered Adam and Eve, the power to make things right. If you knew the, if you had the knowledge of good and evil, you wouldn't need God. You could just make things right and that voice Jesus recognized that voice coming through Peter because Peter had been bitten by the snake he had that venom in him um and so what we as the church as we are championing the cause of Christ it's to me it's it's utterly grievous for us to to turn to our senior pastor and go well, hey we can't we can't out you for this scandal you're too important here just don't do it again
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know a lot of these leadership scandals they they're not a solo enterprise there are people who top oh, yeah. leaders who turned a blind eye you know who who kind of got a whiff of something that was troubling but was like well we we really can't confront him on this or we can't out him for this if he you know if he's not at the helm this organization will go down a lot of people's livelihoods are you know at stake the cause of Christ is at stake they begin to believe
2: and so the, the corruption spreads
0: hmm. through that person
2: yeah uh, uh, I think that makes a strong case for a lot of factors that, you know, I I think we tend to accept um, into our Christian circles or into the church. You you know, I'm just thinking of terms like, you know, well, they're very influential, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, or charismatic. We talked about people that are very charismatic. He's, you know, he's a, strong teacher, yeah. you know, like all all of these things, we we give credence to what we see as talent or giftedness um, without realizing that at some level, you know, if we allow that to be the dominant force, we're relinquishing control or authority to someone else that, that is meant for Christ alone. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, organizations work well with top down human authority because that's what we're used to. Uh, we don't like faith. And so if we can give people the assurance of an afterlife without having to exercise faith, then they will take it and we will give it and you can build a big old church. Um, I went uh, when we were. On vacation in Hawaii, and we visited a church. Uh, I think I mentioned it. Uh, maybe I probably mentioned it off camera. Um, but uh, this church was—it was somewhat small. It had been there a while. Uh, there were clear. There's clear leaders. It was a husband and wife uh, couple, and the wife was speaking that morning. And what we Jamie and I both noticed is, is that every time the wife, she would have all these asides and these kind of personal references and stories and some of them were were kind of biting and caustic and sarcastic you know you could tell that there was some burnout in this couple um but everybody in the in the crowd would just laugh (laughs) We're like what are you laughing at right is there a joke did i miss it (laughs) right yeah but it, it was like there's an agreement between the the leadership couple and the church like you know, we, we will shoulder the burden of, of leadership and you will affirm us and, and we're all gonna be in this codependent relationship. And so those people out there who are looking for that kind of codependency, they want a mascot for their virtue. They want someone to, you know, that they can kind of vicariously live through and to celebrate. They, they want a human that, that can be their savior and church leaders are very prone to step into that role. A lot of people get into church leadership because they're narcissistic. Just like a lot of cops are out there because they have control issues, you know. I people people go into into jobs that don't pay well because of other things. And and so it's if we said, look, it's it is endemic. It's essential to the Christian life that we Reject this principle of right through power. You know, might makes right in, in kind of the old um, Camelot construction. You know, um, if if we say that, that's just a priori. Every Christian needs to understand that you know out in the world yes if you're a christian police officer you have to you have to use the the elementary principles of the world if you're a christian politician whatever understand that in your personal life in your home you know yeah with your kids they're under the elementary principles of the world okay they're not people of faith we get that right so there needs to be a consequence there needs to be authority all of that there needs to be some conformity even in the home when it comes to a christian husband christian wife no <laughs> right There's no, hey, you you either get on board or I'm going to, I will yell at you, right? Um, I will take something away. I will withhold or I will um, somehow coerce or cajole. You won't hear the end of this until you conform. Do you see how all of that is toxic in a marriage, right? None of that belongs and how the gospel can make a marriage actually function and work if both parties are rejecting the elementary principles of the world are resorting to faith instead and resorting to love um, so that uh, if they've banished all thought of getting a fair shake from their spouse and they are just saying i'm going to be faithful a marriage like that can, can endure, (laughs) you know, it can, it can weather a lot, you know, so that, that needs to be the a priori. That's our default mode as, as we interact with, with our peers in the world that we, we aren't trying to one up, you know, we don't walk into a group and try to get the upper hand or whatever we're there to serve. We're there to love. We're there to trust that God's going to carry out His will
1: through us, or whatever. So, do you end up in a church? You know, because today's episode tends to be more focused on church. We started by mm-hmm. saying it has implications for the church. Do you end up having to use the elementary principles of the world in church if you set up church as a worldly insta- or organization? Yes, you know, like with budgets and yes, and salaries and buildings and grounds and sort of all the other trappings of a worldly organization. If you go there, then you end up having to rely upon the elementary principles. Of course. Yeah.
0: I mean, you don't have to, I guess, if you, um, if you really have a ton of faith and you say, you know, we're just going to pray for the resources. We're going to pray for the right people. Um, we're going to have healthy confrontation when somebody does something wrong, loving, redemptive confrontation. um, but we're not going to resort to this kind of punitive approach or manipulative approach, Um, you you could probably do that in faith. There's just more on the line, more at stake. And so it becomes harder and harder. You think about, so think about Saul, King Saul in the Bible, right? He's humble, man. The guy doesn't want to be king. (laughs) You know, he's hiding in the luggage when it's time to announce him. Yeah, he's kind of a simpleton, you know, his dad's like, hey, go find my donkeys. And he's like, find the donkeys, find the donkeys. I mean, he's gone for weeks, you know, find the donkeys. Uh, and, he, and finally the sermon's like, dude, let's just, you know, we're not going to find these donkeys. I, I think your dad's now worried about you. Let's just go home. He's like, find the donkeys? You know? <laughs> he's just He's not the type of guy to just really try to grasp at power or become toxic. And yet when it's on his shoulders... And there's this battle and and you know the Midianites are come out in force and he's supposed to wait for Samuel to come and offer this sacrifice. And Samuel is is man, he's behind. He's trailing. And the longer this goes on, Saul's army is defecting. Can you can you feel it? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the nation is at stake. These guys are gonna get killed. I'm here and it's on me. And if we don't do something, it's all going to be lost. Mm -hmm. So he takes in hand to to offer the sacrifice without Samuel. And as soon as he's offered it, Samuel shows up Mm -hmm. and he says, man, you, you screwed up. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and from that moment on, you know, there's this major decline by the, by the end of Saul's reign, he is literally demonized attempting to kill his own son with a spear because of his, inability to let go of power i mean he he resorts to um a witch in order oh. to try to to try to hack the system and overcome his own lack of power so he he's a case study in the dangers of inst- of the institution um as is david as is everybody so yes you can but you probably won't
1: to me, it seems, because there because there's a mortgage and yeah. the bills have to get paid. Yeah. And so what are we going to do? What mm. we're going to have to we're going to have to put some pressure on these people yeah. to give at least 10% of their income. And well, resort but, to yeah, but, yeah. Me, give me let's give some examples like right. that, some yeah. the Paul would never do that.
0: Yeah, because because the tithe wasn't worthy of the church. Um so even that, even saying Even even going back to the Old Testament and retrieving the tithe is an attempt to regain the elementary principles of the world, I think, because we can say here, you know, you're doing it here and you're not doing it here rather than leaving it to faith. But what does Paul say when he's raising funds? He's saying, let everyone give as he's determined in his own heart. He left that center of control within each person. If he were to say 10%, now he's set a standard that everybody has to conform to, and they're going to either feel less than or more than.
2: Yeah. I, I, And I think Paul would never do that because he, he made it clear in his teachings that that just becomes law. It becomes a new law. It does. As soon as we, you know, somebody gets up and says, well, we need to at least do this. Mm-hmm. You know, we've established a new law, and he was very vocal against that. So. I'm
1: going to yep. skip to this next yep. point because this is where we're at. The church must be free of top-down directives and conforming pressures if it's going to faithfully express the kingdom of God, which is what we're talking about. Yep. And so let's continue to spell that out,
0: elaborate yes. on that.
1: Yeah. So uh,
0: you know, we've talked about this idea of wanting somebody as charismatic or whatever. I remember being in a church staff meeting, and the and the top guy was was talking about somebody who had, visited and and he's like you know man we we got to get we got to get her on staff i'm purposely not mimicking his voice and it's taking everything in me not to do that um anyway nobody can quote this guy without without actually resorting to mimicking his voice it's not possible except i'm, I'm doing the impossible you're 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 hearing a miracle right now i'm not mimicking his voice so anyway and and this guy means well i think he has a heart of gold uh and he is But what's what's interesting about him is because he just doesn't have any guile, he just comes out and says, we're, you know, we're offering spiritual goods and services in exchange for money. You know, he says stuff like that. Uh, He says what's actually true, but nobody else will say it because he's not apologetic. He doesn't feel that it's bad or whatever. But anyway, so we're talking about this one young lady who had uh, kind of come into our, you know, sphere there. And he was like, well, we got to get her on the staff. She's Cool i saw her she was out there jogging you know and she stopped and, uh, and i was driving she stopped by my window and you know she was talking to me man she's just cool we've got to have somebody like that and i'm like do we know something about her besides that she's cool <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's
2: it that's our yeah. criteria <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: yeah but but you know here's somebody that's she's young she's athletic she's uh, just bouncy energetic um and and because of that uh people will listen to her they'll follow her that she'll give credibility to what we're doing and so we need her on staff
2: mm-hmm.
1: because and, and it's actually true it that true. she'll that she'll get a following it's actually true that she'll grow a ministry mm-hmm. uh, and your your point is that that's that's precisely the problem is that the elementary principles of the world work and so we rely upon them hmm. yeah and but
2: it doesn't what, produce what we need it to produce ultimately right well,
0: if you look at Romans 16, at the end of, of the book of Romans, Paul commends a lot of people there. He never says, you know, and, you know, commend Junia and these other people because they're so cool, they're so hip, they're sharp, right? He says they suffered, right? They've, they've been in prison. they've They've worked hard. All of these things speak of a faithfulness and a provenness, uh, a demonstration of real faith. Mm -hmm. There's not a single commendation in Romans 16 of of somebody's inherent gifting. Not one. Go back and read it. Paul shows us what we should celebrate, what we should look for. And it's got to look somewhat like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that... That this young lady didn't love the Lord, she she does. I mean, she's got a ton of faith. She's done great things, but it, we just can't see someone as potential based on these other criteria. You know, we could say, hey, she's, you know, she's born a lot. She's trusted God here and here and 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 stuff. But you know, we, we've known her all of two minutes, and she's cool. <laughs> you know that that's not. Um, it's not a good message to communicate really to the church or to the leadership, and it's antithetical to the way God picks his leaders
1: um, at least according to isaiah fifty three or fifty yeah fifty three two right He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him
2: this being a prop a prophetic word yeah. telling about Christ Jesus yeah. himself, yeah. Yeah. was it flashy, wasn't showy, right. wasn't good looking. Might not have been as charismatic as other people. Yeah. But there was something else there.
0: Yeah. Well, and he got less attractive, uh, especially as he's arrested, convicted, tortured, beaten, mm-hmm. hanged on a cross. He got a lot less attractive from there, you know. So uh, it's not about those kinds of things, and when we try to supplement this man of sorrows with um, the gal of coolness, <laughs> you know, I, then then we may be just apologizing for God's methods. Mm.
1: You write here. It seems to me the avoidance of these worldly methods is at least part of what James meant when he said that pure religion includes keeping oneself unspotted from the world. It's surely no coincidence that he goes on to forbid interpersonal favoritism beginning in the next verse where James says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ should not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring. This really speaks to our conversation. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Ouch. Yeah. Ouch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, you know sometimes we I like their are chapters and verses in the Bible, but sometimes it it keeps us from from drawing the right connections or at least all the connections that are meant to be there. When we, when we read in a, in a puritanical society, uh, when we read keep oneself from being polluted by the world, what we hear is don't watch porn. Mm-hmm. I don't think James was telling us not to watch porn. Yeah, if you look at it in not, context. Not that he was in favor of porn, but that's right. not the point of it. He goes in the very next verse. You know, He's like, speaking of being polluted by the world, don't show favoritism.
1: Mm-hmm. The world works this way. Right. Favoritism. Yeah judging people according to how they appear
0: yes so what should we be known for maybe maybe if we just went on james one twenty seven, take care of widows and orphans and man just don't use these worldly tools they're they're dirty they'll they'll leave a, a you know grime on you and then you're gonna touch your face then you're gonna kiss <laughs> your kids it's just gonna be a mess it's and gonna it's be gonna on spread. everybody and mm-hmm. and So we really have to be afraid. When somebody turns and says, man, we need them on staff. They're cool. Every other person in the room should go, what? (laughs) I don't want that, you know, that fecal matter to get on me. What you just said is just covered in filth. Mm -hmm. And and you can keep good intentions with great intentions. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know. We've got to be discerning. Yeah, you just can't roll with the pigs just because you like bacon or whatever you want, to kind of analogy.
1: Hmm. Thanks, everyone, for your time. If you'd like to continue the discussion, you can email us at discussion at faithrecoverypodcast.com.